Welcome to another episode of the Seminar Files. This is L. KB. Hashtag feminism. African queen. African queen. Three black black women. Where's the lie? Hello, world, and welcome to another episode of the Feminoir Files. Today is going to be a little different because we have a special guest here today with us on the show. And also the format's going to be a little different just because I think with where this conversation could go, we need as much time to focus on this as possible. So without further ado, KB and Suge, how are y'all feeling? I'm hot. It's hot. Where's your AC? We'll talk more about that later, but I'm starting starting to realize that the builder of um, my community made um, a little shortcut. So it's very hot on the third floor. It's comfortable on the second floor and it's freezing in the basement. So, um, That's why I'm going to, you know, I'm over here fanning myself like I'm going through menopause or something. I was so just about don't. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, You're the baby of the uh, group, but you the one fanning. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going through changes. So how I'm doing, you know, it's it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week. Like, I don't know, I almost quit my job a couple of times. And then the vendor sent us some lobster rolls and it made me happy again today. Wait, I is there any way you can put them on the plane with you so you can share them with us or can you ship them? No, 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 no. I need to know what job openings y'all have and how can I get in on this lobster roll action? Like my suppliers and my people, they don't do nothing like that for us. Hey, when you got these big contracts and you paying them to come in, oh, they gonna, you know, they gave us chocolate. So So funny, my daughter was mad that it wasn't candy. Cause they gave us chocolate, like this chocolate thing last time with different types of chocolate and crunchy stuff, all of that. So this time, you know, it comes today and it's lobster roll kits. Now we just ate them. Can I just say they were delicious? The lobster was from Maine. Of course oh. were. If she yes. knew, if Lil KB knew what was up, she would have been more happy about them lobster rolls and that chocolate. It, that part, but she's not there yet. So she's more excited about chocolate than lobster rolls. However, we on this show understand oh i just ate real good so she was upset but yeah it's just been a rough week i can't wait for a break and looking forward to i know by the time this show comes out we've already would have come back from atlanta we're having our you know i call it a retreat but yes. i just hope to have a story when i come back you know <laughs> you know it's not a show unless i have a story <laughs> so i'm looking forward to us why are you shaking your head no comment Okay. Shout out I'm, to Doc. We got shout out to Doc. We shout to out to Doc. Yeah. coming, and I just need a story to come back with. So that's how I am doing. I also think, even in your intro and talking about, you know, this difference, you know, I think this is a nice way even to kick off our season three. And I just want to remind everybody, you know, we are kicking off our season three. I hope everybody listened to the last episode. We celebrated two years in the making. It's been a long journey and just the hours of editing that I do, Lord have mercy. I, I need to take two drinks because of that. But uh, we, we are here and we are excited and we have an awesome team. So that's also what I'm thinking about today. So how are you doing, Elle? We'll cap it off. 
Um, I'm great. So as the team knows, I just spent a boatload of money on a new car. Hey, I got rich friends. No comment. It's beautiful. I'm happy you went with, with the bougie mobile because you were like, I think I might get another Camry. And I'm like, girl, we are, we are a assistant um, VP. So we need a assistant VP car. So I'm happy <laughs> that I'm happy that you, you decided to splurge on yourself for a little bit because you deserve it. And now I don't have to be embarrassed to get in either one of y'all cars now. Fuck you, KB. See, I'm trying to but, be good. No, but, but, I can't but coming from the person who ain't putting in on this car note, though. Oh, hello, come on, somebody. Let it know, Shug. I got hmm. my car note. I got my hmm. But like hmm. I said, exactly. I'm just glad I ain't got to get in these other cars no more. That's all I'm going to say. But let's get moving. So also, I'm very excited because I want to go ahead and introduce our guest and bring her in because I'm sure that with everything we're going to talk about, I want to make sure that she has an opportunity to comment. So our guest today is Kat Calvin. I have known her at least 10 years, right? Like, can I say like where we met and how we met? Yeah, of course. So she and I used to work together part-time at Macy's. So I was in cosmetics. She was in fine jewelry. She was was fine with quotation marks because it's Macy's and they don't really sell fine jewelry. So it was fine jewelry. (laughs) And this is why I, I, I think love I like Kat. her. Let's this go. Is, this is why I love Kat because she always keeps it real. She always says what's on her mind. And she is, has always been a social entrepreneur. She's always been a founder of some great uh, committees, some great, just some great programs. So I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to officially get started. So Kat Calvin is the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote and the co-founder and CEO of the Project ID Action Fund. A lawyer, activist, and social entrepreneur, Kat has built a national organization that helps Americans obtain the IDs they need for jobs, housing, and life, and that also allows them to go to the polls. Along with Spread the Vote and Project ID Action Fund, Kat co-hosts Vote the Podcast, is an advisor to Ragtag and sits on the boards of OMG WTF. In her spare time, she is a photographer, avid traveler, and I think she's actually on vacation right now. So we really have to thank her for being a guest on the show. And she is currently writing a book, which I actually want to hear more about. Kat has been featured on BET's Black History Month profiles and has been a guest commentator on MSNBC, CNN, Headline News, and Sirius XM, and now has been a guest on the Feminor Files podcast. So let's all welcome Kat to the show. Hey, bro, hi! <laughs> Glad you added the most important one at the end of that ridiculous long bias that you didn't have to read all of. Of course, of course. You know I'm going to shout you out because that's what I do. When my friends do great things, I always, I might be a little delayed, but I always try to support. So, so first things first, I think we really, I think it's really important before, you know, Kat, we start talking to you about the things that you do in your professional life about recognizing the one year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd and really how because we had nothing else to do but sit in the house and watch what Derek Chauvin did to that man and I think that 
finally allowed, I'm going to say like white America to really see what black people have been saying for years. Like since or 400 time. years, 400, Over 400 plus. Yeah. 400 plus. Yeah. And I think, I think that was a right piece that you started off with too, L with white America, because this, this remembrance of a one year anniversary, we have many of these. This every, is, every day every it's day every there's day. probably someone yeah. we can name or something we can find that there was a killing so i don't mm-hmm. even i don't even think this is really for us to be really honest with you this is not for us this is just another marking for us i think what it does for me it signifies when we started seeing some change and i know that they wanted to be able to sign the george Ford law into um you know i guess in the books uh, they wanted to do it by the anniversary and they weren't able to do that because there's things that they still need to work out in the whatever. That's bull crap. But, you know, I think to me, it, it signifies more of just this reckoning. And like you say, when white people, um, some of them being colonizers really got to look and to see what was already happening. And I just want us to make sure that we are aligned in that, that thought process. I think so but I mean when it comes to white America like I was actually having a discussion about this is us which that finale was phenomenal so if you haven't seen it please please take the time out to watch it but tell um, me about it since I don't watch that show no 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 because I'm behind you're gonna have to do that later where we're not all together but um you know with the whole George Floyd situation and Black Lives Matter it was very interesting because I think across the board you know all different races and ethnicities can agree that This Is Us is an amazing show however with Randall's storyline about him um talking to his family about what it was like growing up Black in a white family and it was very difficult for them to relate So being in some of these fan groups on like Facebook and just watching the commentary of, you know, white people, like, why do they have to drag this into it? I don't even want to watch the show anymore. You know, this is us is kind of my escape from what everything that is going on. And I'm like, you know, when it comes to white people, I think they sincerely don't get it. And I think that was why it was so monumental that they wrote it into the show because it's like it needs to be discussed like you can turn off a tv and you don't have to deal with it like you could just walk away with it from it black people don't have that that luxury we cannot turn off being black so the fact that you choose to walk away or i don't want to deal with this like i i can't relate to this so i'm not going to deal with it i still think that that's a lot of their privilege that they're not aware of and it's going to take a lot of very difficult conversations to really make the change that America needs to make so can I say something really quickly I don't want to delve too far off topic because I want to make sure that we bring in Kat with our discussion because I definitely want to hear more about her organizations and the work that she's doing but I think NBC within this last year with all of their shows have definitely become more conscious because I watch like SVU religiously and they have addressed a lot of the things regarding police. They of course even have done like a lot of stories that have evolved around what's really happening in real life. So I'm gonna say kudos to NBC um, with the things that they're doing and the things that they're putting on their shows. I'm gonna 
to have always liked SVU though, because even the Law and Order, they always have kind of done it. And I think even FBI, I've been starting to watch FBI. FBI put a little piece in there. It got me so mad. Like I liked the little crew, and then one of them was saying something crazy. Like I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, played the part, but like you said, I think you're now forced to have these discussions. We forced y'all to have these discussions. Had it not been for the pandemic, had it not been for these killings and now you get to watch this on TV, like you said, all the time, would we be here? I think we would have eventually got here, but I think it definitely sped up some stuff. Yeah, I was about to say, it It would have been years in the future. I think, you know, with everybody being in the house due to the pandemic and it just kind of being very in your face and all over the place, people could no longer deny that this was a serious problem and it needed to be dealt with. I don't even want to say it's just white America either. I feel like it's every other race that's not of African ancestry. And the reason I say that is because we think about our Asian brothers and sisters, like a lot of people have been able to ignore because they say it's not us. But I think what this has done, even from a voting standpoint, has caused us to kind of rally together a little bit more. I think it has brought some unity across these other groups. And I was just listening to something recently, how we call ourselves minorities. And are we really the minority? Like as a collective, right? Like if you think about all no. of us, we're not exactly, no. right? No. So, you know, I think as a collective, we maybe need to start thinking about the, even the language that we're using. But I think from a voting standpoint, I think it, it propelled us in a certain way from just an awareness and even how we're thinking about how we show up. I think it did cause us to kind of gain a little bit more together. So even though I don't think that everybody thought about our group before I think it started making people kind of get forced to think about us a little bit more and even join in with us and that's across all boards so I'll say that as well so Kat I want to go ahead and bring you in so I have a two-part question so the first question just really quickly yes it seems weird but actually white people are still 60 percent of the population but that is supposed to change within the like next 10 years like there's a point yeah within the next few years where that by by 2050 there will be more minorities and people of mixed background than actual caucasians in america so yeah it was 2050 and they've now moved that up i want to say to like 2040 or something but i know that it's it's every year they're like oh no that's going to happen even faster than we thought come on black people we need more babies make some babies i'm not even saying just black people i'm saying everyone outside of coffee yeah if you put all of us together white people are 60 percent of the population Mm -hmm. and then people of color make up the other 40 percent that i really thought that we were actually not we us as a collective in the quote unquote minority group were actually a little higher so that's interesting but like you said i think regardless we're going to be ahead at some point coming soon it's coming yeah so kat i so two things i have a two-part question so the first part is can you tell us a little bit more about your organization spread the vote and then number two i kind of want you if at all possible if you can kind of speak to what kb mentioned about how some of these things that have happened sort of like has voting basically brought minorities together and to like basically have us working together collectively like have you seen that or seen the change in that within the last like 12 to 18 months even the last election cycle i think we see it most in the last election cycle but go ahead kat 
Well, I mean, I can answer that first. It's a, qu a quicker answer in that it is very difficult to say within the last 12 to 18 months because like a vast majority of the population was just voting against Trump. They were, you know, this was very much like, we just don't want this guy. So I think we will see when midterms come in 2024, when we have some sort of less apocalyptic elections, we'll be able to see more of like, so what is the demographic breakdown? breakdown? You know, who is doing what with whom? But 2020 was just like, the world's gonna end everybody vote for anybody except peach pol pie and like that's just that was what it was so i think it's it's difficult for us to sort of discern um i do think that right now there is a reckoning where people are realizing you know the the massive rise in anti-semitism the massive rise in anti-asian violence and and the recognition there's been anti-asian violence since you know they were here and but we're finally having to acknowledge hey you know all of us are dealing with these issues. You know, people are finally talking about, you know, the situation of Native Americans in this country, which we should have been talking about for the last 400 freaking years, right? And so I think we are realizing like, you know, this is all of us and we all have to come together. Um, but I think that it's difficult to, to judge the voting patterns of 2020 because we were just trying to like stop the apocalypse. I wasn't, I'm team apocalypse, but even I'm, you know, I couldn't vote for Trump, but um, I would like the world to end very soon. I'm. Um, when it comes to, oh. to the first question, though, human, look, humanity's done. Look at us. We're I mean, done. yeah, you got to crash and burn. But I think even if their intention was not to help us or not to join, we did, in a way, join together because we ended up voting against him. I agree with you. It may not have been that you really care about Democratic goals, right? But you were just trying to get him out the office. Yeah, well, but it, yeah, like I, I think it's hard to say that was just people of color because, you know, like, white people, young people, like everybody came out. And so I think if we're looking at how do voters of color specifically join together, I think we will see that in an election where it's not as much of an emergency and where there are more sort of moderate whites who might vote Republican um, and it, it, you know, where they were just weren't going to in 2020 because it, it was Trump. So I, I think it's difficult to parse that as much. Perfect. And can you also tell us for who, for those of us who don't know, just a little bit more about Spread the Foes and even Project um, ID as well? Sure, yes. Um, I know I started with the second question first. So uh, Spread the Vote is a nonprofit organization um, in which we help people get government-issued photo ID. Uh, there are over 21 million eligible voters in the country who don't have ID. We actually think the, the number, the real number is sort of 25 million adults or more, but there are shockingly a lack of studies. Um, but we know well over 21 million eligible voters who don't have ID. And if you don't have the ID to vote, you don't have ID for jobs, housing, medical care, ironically, in a lot of places, COVID testing or vaccines, which is very frustrating. Um, but then also, you know, a lot of food banks require ID, a lot of homeless shelters, everything. If you just think about everything you do in your life, bank accounts, et cetera. Um, and they can be really difficult to get, which any of us who've ever been to the DMV know. Uh, and so there is a, a massive part of the population that uh, cannot obtain IDs by themselves. And so we help uh, people get all the documents required. We pay for everything. We help them get to uh, vital records and social security administration and the DMV do whatever we can to help them get an ID in their hands. Uh, and then during elections, we do 
a lot of voter education um, and helping people sort of take all the steps they need to get to the polls. 77% of our clients have never voted before. So we do a lot of work to help uh, get those uh, get those first time voters um, or those sort of long time haven't voted folks or uh, et cetera to actually be able to vote. Um, and then Project ID Action Fund is, is our political arm, our C4, in which uh, while the nonprofit is helping people sort of one-on-one -on, -one on the ground get IDs, our goal with the uh, 501c4 is to make large-scale changes, to change state legislation, to make it easier for people to get IDs, to endorse and get candidates elected who care about the ID issue and want to serve uh, their constituents who don't have IDs so that we can try to help the 21 million get IDs uh, on a, a larger scale using policy while we're trying to help folks on the ground right now. Can you tell me with the um, with the work with the Project ID Action Fund, what are some of those common barriers? I know you mentioned going to the DMV and what you need. What what have been some of those common barriers that people have like faced in obtaining those IDs is, is not having their social security card? Like what has been like the biggest ones that you've seen and how have you guys rectified those? Yeah, it's literally everything. So 57% of our clients don't have a birth certificate. And uh, first of all, birth certificates are not free. And second, if you go to Vital Records and ask for birth certificate, in most states, they will ask you for an ID. So we have to use a very complicated and expensive method to get birth certificates. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't have social security cards. Um, you know, our average ID cost is $40, but it really ranges. We've paid hundreds sometimes. I just two days ago approved a $550 replacement for a certificate of naturalization. Um, and so the costs are really extreme. Also, if you don't have an ID, you know, not only you're either unemployed or you're employed under the table, which can sometimes be worse than being unemployed. Uh, so having the funds for this uh, is often impossible for our clients, but you also don't have transportation. More than 10 million Americans live more than 10 miles from a DMV. And so just getting there is difficult. Uh, you know, we have a lot of folks who are unhoused, a lot of folks who are recently incarcerated, a lot of folks uh, who have disabilities. We have a huge problem with people with disabilities not having IDs and getting all of the, you know, can be anywhere from four to seven documents, depending on the state and your situation that you need to take to the DMV can be difficult and expensive. Uh, and most of our clients come in and, you know, Maybe they have one, maybe they have three. They don't have all of them. They don't have the money. They don't know how to do it. You know, we've, they've got complicated situations where they need to get, you know, paperwork from the Department of Corrections or birth certificates from different countries, or they, you know, don't speak English or they're undocumented or whatever. And putting all of that together um, has proven so impossible that you know, we've helped folks who haven't had IDs for 10, 20, 30, even 40 years because of all of the complications um, that have, have gotten in their way. And Kat, what states are you located in or where are you helping? Where are most of your clients? Like, do you see, like, if there are states that have, like, more people that need help than others? Or, like, are there, like, any certain trends that you see with the clients and the people that you help? Well, so it ranges, you know, by population, of course, you know, Georgia has more people than North Dakota. Uh, we operate in 17 states. You can go to spreadthevote.org slash states to see all of them. Um, you know, and it really, you know, with 21 million plus people, uh, every single state has at least hundreds of thousands of people who don't have ID. Um, and then, you know, it, you know, it obviously sort of larger cities, 
how you know anywhere that has more people anywhere that has more people that are unhoused etc are going to have more people but we have a lot of folks in very rural areas who um don't have id you know a lot of folks that you know in the country or on reservations or whatever so um it's not just a city problem it's not just like oh this city has a lot of homeless people they must be the place without ids it's really everywhere so this is very interesting but what actually inspired you to start spread the vote uh, so the 2016 election, um, so we we had a Voting Rights Act, as you all probably know, that was passed in 1965. Um, uh -huh. And in 2013, the Supreme Court took a huge chunk out of it. They're actually about to do it again. We will probably find out in the next few weeks. They will basically eviscerate what's left of the Voting Rights Act. Um, but in 2013, um, there was a section of the Voting Rights Act that said that I'm all of the states that had historically been particularly egregious with voter suppression. You know, it's important to note all 50 states suppressed the vote. Uh, you know, all we had poll taxes everywhere, et cetera. But obviously, like the states in the Deep South were particularly egregious with Jim Crow, et cetera. Um, and so those states had to, anytime they wanted to change anything about their election practices, they had to ask permission of the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice would either say, yeah, that looks fine, or they'd say, no, that's extremely racist, go away. Uh, and so in 2013, Shelby County, Alabama sued. It made it to the Supreme Court in Shelby County v. Holder. And they said, we don't want to have to ask permission anymore to change our election practices. And Chief Justice John Roberts said, hey, it's 2013. We've got a Black president. Black people are out here voting. Clearly, racism is over. So we're good. You shouldn't have to ask permission anymore. And the majority of the Supreme Court agreed with that. Uh, the incredible Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, "I heard about this one. Yeah, what? Yeah, this is it's, yeah." For anyone who didn't go to law school, this is when they found out that RBG was amazing. For those of us who'd been reading her decisions, we knew, but everyone figured it out here because what she said was saying that because a large percentage of Black Americans are voting means that we no longer need the protections that allow them to vote. Is like standing in the middle of a rainstorm and saying, "I'm not getting wet. I'm going to put put away my umbrella." Cash, can we put a pin right there? Yeah. I love that, right? Yeah. And RBG, because you are an attorney and you studied her, is this maybe an example we can see that she's actually fought for African rights? Like I haven't, I've always seen her more and they talk a lot more about her with women's rights. Do you have other examples of how she's kind of shown up for people? She always has. She, is, she was an extremely progressive and extremely uh, liberal justice. So when you hear about her fighting for women's rights, it's because yeah. when she was an attorney, that was her practice area, was gender justice. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the line of cases that she fought for. And she had this, you know, incredible foresight where she understood you know, this is where we are in women's rights. Here's where we need to go. Here are the steps I can take in the kind of cases that I can pursue that will get us there. So that was her career as an attorney. But once she became a Supreme Court justice, when you're a justice, you review cases about everything, gun violence and abortion and race and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so when she was a justice and she was reviewing all kinds of cases, she was very progressive. She was very liberal. She was very, you know, pro POC, pro black, et cetera. Um, but that that was a different point in her career than when she was a, a, an attorney specifically focusing on gender issues. Okay, thank you. I, I've always wanted to know that. And I haven't had a chance to really research her, but you know, so thank you for answering that. But yes, back to this, 
you know, these laws that they're doing and thinking that, oh, the problem is done because Barack Obama got got elected. Well, and here's the thing, that was that was John Roberts' excuse. But he when he was an aide to Reagan, he tried everything he could to get Reagan to not recertify the Voting Rights Act. And Reagan did. Um, but he he John Roberts has always been against the Voting Rights Act. He's always been against equality and voting, et cetera. So that was like the he reason an excuse. Right, that was the reasoning he was putting in for Shelby, but he's always, and so that's, Supreme Court has been making a lot of bad decisions on voting rights for the last year. They're about to destroy the Voting Rights Act again, but uh, that's because the Chief Justice, this is his thing. He he hates- Yeah, but I also feel like that's very strategic, and that was why Trump was pushing to get certain people approved before he got out of office to make sure that a lot of progress that was done under previous administrations was starting to come undone. Yeah. And here's the thing that should be what, I mean, look, they shouldn't have bribed Kennedy to leave. That was, it should be illegal, but nothing is apparently, um, but that, that is what every president tries to do, right. Is, is, you know, get, um, get justices into place because they are lifetime appointments who are going to, uh, follow their point of view. Um, and so, so Trump just happened to be successful partially because he, is no stranger to bribery and partially because unfortunately RBG died. Um, but anyway, so so that happened in 2013 and RBG predicted, she said, look, as soon as you do this, every state is going to start suppressing the vote, like obviously. And of course, immediately, literally within two hours of that decision coming down, Texas and Alabama started working on voter ID laws. So in 2013, we had like four-ish states that had voter ID laws. They were really testing it out. Um, you know, some of them were constantly under litigation, but it was like this new thing where they were trying to figure out like, how do we make this work? Um, while, you know, I mean, one thing, the Republican Party, they're incredibly strategic. They work together very well. They're very, very good at planning things out. It's how they took over the judiciary over 50 years. It's, it's, so, it's so incredible. And I just wish that anybody else had that kind of forethought. Um, so once Shelby County came down in 2013, we went from four-ish states, and I say ish because with litigation and everything, it's, it's a little murky, but you know, very few states, about four, that had voter ID laws, to by the time of the presidential election 2016, 21 states, and by the presidential election 2020, 36 states that had voter ID laws. So it immediately took over the country. That's also why, you know, if you think like, oh, why hadn't I ever heard of like voter purging before 2016 or some of these other things, it's because we still had a Voting Rights Act. Uh, and so to get way back to the question you asked me three hours ago, the reason that I got into this is because after 2016, it was very clear that uh, voter ID laws had certainly impacted the presidential election, but it's a lot easier to influence local and state elections through voter suppression because you know smaller margins of victories, you don't have electoral college, et cetera, et cetera. And so you could really see how voter ID laws were impacting uh, local elections at state elections. But also, you know, um, there are in Wisconsin, over 300,000 registered voters who don't have ID and the margin of victory between Clinton and Trump, I think was like 14,000 votes, right? And that was the same all over the country. Um, and you know, there were a lot of organizations that have been trying really hard to fight voter ID laws judicially. It has never worked anywhere but Pennsylvania. Uh, states that have tried to fight it in the legislatures, but that doesn't work because they want these laws not in place. Um, but there, there wasn't an organization that was just helping people get IDs. And so I thought, well, why don't I do that? It sounded a lot easier. 
in my head when I said it, that it was doing it. Um, but it seemed to make sense uh, to help folks get IDs and then they can elect people who are going to represent them and then we can turn those laws around. Uh, and then it took about five seconds to realize that there is a much bigger crisis than just the voter ID crisis that we actually have tens of millions of people who can't work or eat or find a place to sleep at night because they don't have ID. And it became as much about helping people get IDs to live as about helping people get IDs to vote. Well, I think it's funny that you mentioned like local elections because we talk about this all the time, like your local elections actually have a bigger impact on you than, you know, these national elections. So question, can you maybe tell us your thoughts on the influence that local elections have on our daily lives? So 80% of the decisions that impact your daily life are made at the state and local level. You know, I'm the president and Congress, they're in charge of big scale things. And also Congress only has jurisdiction over federal issues, right? So if you look at, you know, voting or things they want to do in the criminal justice system, we've got, I was going to say separation of church and state, but basically, right, but we have states' rights. And so, so when you're looking at um, anything from elections to schools to water to whatever, those are state decisions. Um, and often, you know, when uh, when the, the federal government has wanted to uh, convince states to do something, like when they wanted to create speed limits, you know, and I think that a national, you know, cap at 75, they had to create tax incentives or other things because they can't actually tell the states what to do on state ground. Um, you know, federal interstates, fine, but not state highways, et cetera. And so when you're looking at, you know, the people who really run your life are the board of supervisors. Board of supervisors are some of the most powerful people on the planet. It's your secretary of state. It's your city council. Uh, you know, it's certainly your mayor. It's your sheriff. It's your attorney general, right? If you care about uh, um, criminal justice, uh, you know, judges, people, do not realize how powerful judges are. It's the people who are just sitting there in your community who are making the decisions that really impact you. So speaking of that, Kat, you know, thinking about these conservative voting laws that are starting to pass in like Georgia and Arizona and even in Florida, and where it seems like, you know, sort of like the like John Q public may feel that he can't do anything or he the only thing he can do is just like sit by and watch these laws pass like what can we do what actions can we take to really try to address these things that are going on so that we don't end up back in 1896 where you know there's a grandfather clause and a poll tax and all these other things you know all these hoops that we had to jump through just to be able to vote well, first of all, there is a poll tax. Voter ID laws are a poll tax, except they're more complicated and more difficult than just being able to pay two dollars, you know, at the polls. Um, so you know, you can do some things. The reality is, elections have consequences, right? And all of these state state legislators and governors, these are people that people in those states elected, uh, and so now they're making choices. So the first thing is, you know, there's. Uh, some states have elections coming up now, you know, New Jersey has elections this year, New York, um, Louisiana, uh, there's a lot of sort of local municipal elections, you know, vote. And then next year, 2022, is a massive year, right? It's midterms. Uh, there will be hundreds of thousands of seats up. And the first thing is you have to vote. Um, and you have to make sure everyone in your community votes. You know, I always tell everyone, we don't have a single community in America that has 100% voter turnout. So 
are you getting your friends out? Are you getting your families out? Are you talking to them early enough so that if they don't have an ID, you can either help them or you can call spread the vote and we can help them. You know, you have to think about voting way more, uh, way earlier than a week before the election because there's so many barriers in your place, you know, and a lot more are being put into place right now. You know, do they have, can they get off work or can they get a mail-in ballot? Do they have someone to watch their kids? Like there's all these things you have to think about it and it's hard and it's burdensome, but it's going to continue to be hard and burdensome and it's going to get harder and more burdensome until we vote. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, there is a massive Voting Rights Act called the For the People Act that is in Congress right now. Uh, it's passed the House. We need it to pass the Senate. In order for it to pass the Senate, we need filibuster reform, which Joe Manchin refuses to support. Um, but it is... It it would the for the people act is is the most significant voting rights bill since the voting rights act it's extraordinary um, and then there's also the John Lewis act which basically reestablishes a section five of the voting rights act the preclearance thing that I was telling you about where they have to ask permission of the DOJ it reestablishes that we need those to be passed um, in order to do that. First of all, if you know anybody in West Virginia, have them call Joe Manchin's office every single day and tell him we want we got, to report. Can't we gotta get Joe Manchin up out of here? That wasn't an imposter. He is not for the people. This is let me run as a Democrat and make you guys think. And you know, it was so funny. I was listening to something where you were talking about, oh, you know, it's 50-50 split in the Senate, and it's not 50-50. Like Joe, I don't think we need to count Joe Manchin. At well, Kristen Sinema either. They're both imposters, but I think I think Sinema is more likely to. I, I did hear about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to support filibuster reform. Mansion isn't. So you know, we need to call everybody we know in West Virginia, um, because I uh, it's it really is, and this is the problem. You know, with the way the Senate is set up, is that all of the power is in this one dude's hand. Um, but we, you know, it's really important to call him, but to also call your senators and like say, look, this matters to me because if the For the People Act was passed, it would reform a lot of these things. Um, and although it would only have jurisdiction over federal elections, most states do not have the funds or capacity to run two sets of elections. Mm -hmm. And so these rules would also govern state elections, particularly for midterms where everybody's got members of Congress. So all of the elections are federal elections. Now, Texas is already working on their separate plan, but Texas is going to be Texas. But for most states, it actually would govern them. And it's an extraordinary act. Um, so call your senators, call people in West Virginia, tell them to call Joe Manchin. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, attend Board of Elections meetings. Uh, you know, they're really important. Know who your Secretary of State is and call your Secretary of State. Your Secretary of State is in charge of elections in your entire state. And if you remember Kemp from Georgia, he was a Secretary of State and he was able to manipulate the elections to such a degree that he yeah. won governorship, you know, illegally. Yeah. Um, but you could do that because the Secretary of State has all of the power. So you've got to call them. You've got to know who your boards of elections are. Um, but right now, these laws are being passed because those people were elected and they have the power to pass the law. So you have to vote them out. So we have four other people, no, three other people who are a part of the podcast who live in states where their representatives and their senators can actually vote. I live in this place where I don't have a vote. Well, they got to do it. I remember those days. Paid those so taxes. I say all that to say that you pay me, you should, and you ask me to call your representatives, call your senators, and harass them and let them know that they need to be calling Joe Manchin in West Virginia. For sure. I, I think I'm trying to Oh my God. We got to hear about that DC. Oh, Al, you can just call everyone you know in West Virginia. Should Thank you. you. I don't know anybody in West Virginia. <laughs> That's Make fine, people. 
Fun Select people. West Virginia on Bumble. Thank you. Google. Google. Google is your best friend. Google she, no, no, y'all. She just want us to, you know, be reminded that DC is going like they want this whole thing. Y'all need to go for Y'all need to contact your senators for DC statehood. It's fair. Yes. I remember those days. I want my money back. <laughs> she said, I want my money back. It was but, wonderful when I moved to California and I was like, I have representation. <laughs> I will happily pay these taxes for my members of Congress. <laughs> oh, oh, but she, but Elle quick to tell you she lived within the what you say? What is that? What, what you say when people ask you like if you live in DC proper? Sorry, DC proper. proper. Look, it's very important. <laughs> As a person who also lived in DC proper, it matters because all these people out here claiming DC when they live in Silver Spring or Arlington, you don't live in DC. Sure, you have with no representation. All right, let's move. Along. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, I agree with you. I think we got to get. And, and I was even talking about cat from a local standpoint, like our mayors in yep. Philadelphia has not been run great during this pandemic. When I tell you simple things like the streets department, mm-hmm. like trash thing for two and three weeks, no lie. It has been absolutely horrible. And this is a Democratic run city. And I've already said, like, I don't care if you're a Democrat. If you're not doing nothing for this city, you can be voted out too. We have to stop voting along party lines and really look at the candidate. So if you're not acting right, it's time for you to go too. So just like Joe Manchin need to be up out of there. It's a couple of people here in Philadelphia. I'm just going to say that. But anyway. Uh, add Baltimore yeah. to that list too, because y'all Baltimore are not too. by your you are not by yourself. Mayor? But wait a second, you don't like Mayor Scott? Should no. So Mayor Scott, I have no issue with. So I'm actually surprised that the people of Baltimore voted for him because my fear was that he is he's so young and you know he was refusing to cut his hair and you know how some of the older voters are kind of like asked mm. him to cut his hair. No, I mean, but it he's it has nice been a topic. Little- It's been a topic of conversation. You know, older voters are very conservative, Mm -hmm. so they like that clean-cut look. So he's, so if I'm 37, he's got to be 36. So he's one of the youngest mayors in the country, um, and they don't really know him as well. So, you know, there were previous mayors who have run, who've actually gone to jail for some of the things that they've done while they were mayor, and they came very close to winning this election. So I'm happy that they were able to give him a chance, but it's also kind of let's stand back and see what he does because at least the last three mayors have been corrupt. So it's like, wow. okay, what is this one going to do? They so. tried to get Krasner out of our city. I don't know, Kat, if you've been following Larry Krasner here in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually happy that he gets to stay. Like, I don't, I don't think he got enough time to see what he could really do. Yeah. And I know that he's not a part of that establishment and they was mad about that because um, he's not laying down with them like they want him to. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. But let me ask you a question. I know we're getting close to the time of um, of somebody going to sleep and me continuing to drink. But uh, one of the questions I, I, I saw on your website that you were voted Time Magazine 16 people in, in groups fighting for a more equal America. Which do you see as more important? And we've been having a lot of conversations with this at work around equality and equity, which we know are two really big, you know, different things. Um, 
How do you see that, especially when you think about voting rights and, and the work that you're doing around this, this theme of equality, or should we be more asking for equity or is there a mix? So there's a really good political cartoon that I think sums this up. They show, there's a, you know, a bunch of kids in front of a fence and they show equality and all of the kids are on the same ground of the fence, but some of them can you know, see higher and some of them can see lower, whatever. But then there's equity and all of them have had you know, step ladders put up to get them all to the same place where they can all see over the fence equally. And that's equity. And that's, you know, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Time Magazine thought too hard about what they were naming <laughs> that title. Uh, but, you know, I, but that, that, that's the thing is, is, you know, we know when we are looking at I'm every you know, people in this country that we all didn't start on equal footing, right? Some of us were brought here unwillingly. Some of us were put into internment frigging camps and had everything that we have taken away. Some of us originally were here, the country belongs to us and we were forced on reservations, right? Like there's, there we, we are not on equal footing. And there are, you know, is historic. I, I've, it blows my mind that white people now know about the Tulsa massacre. Thank you, Watchmen. Um, you know, but like people are starting to realize, like you know, we have this situation in uh, Los Angeles right now because Manhattan Beach, which is a very popular upscale beach, uh, people have just found out that a huge part of it was actually land that belonged to a black family and the city took it um, so that they could create this beach, right? And that's something that happened all over. We had highways that were built in the middle of, of, of um, prosperous black cities, an extremely prosperous black part of New York was destroyed to build Central Park, et cetera. And, and that is the case with, you know, Every, every group of color in America. Um, and so, you know, I think that because we know that we didn't all start on equal footing, the goal is to get everyone to a place where they have an equal opportunity and that means equity. Um, and, you know, I think that's, it's, it's a, a discernment in language that I, I think most people don't understand. And so when they're talking about equality, I think a lot of people, and you can hear when they talk, that that's actually what they mean is like, how do we get everyone to the same point? But that they're just not thinking hard about what that language means, but that it is important. Because this is, for instance, why you can have a conversation about affirmative action. And if you're thinking about equity, it's like, oh, this does make sense. Um, you know, But if you're just thinking about, well, everyone should be treated the same from day one, well, some of us are coming from 400 years behind. So, so exactly. that doesn't work. And I, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. It's so funny, these cartoons, we're showing the one when we talk about health um, equality and health equity, we're showing the ones with the tree and reaching for the apple. And it's the woman that needs yeah. the ladder. So it's so funny how we're seeing these variations, but that conversation needs to be discussed because I do, I, I agree with you. I think that puts that in perspective, a lot of those things in perspective, but I also think taking a look back and getting a real history lesson as to how we got here also helps to put those things in perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, people, A, aren't learning really any history. I mean, let's face it, there's no history is being taught anywhere. Um, but also, you know, aren't learning enough. You know, I went to school in the Pacific Northwest. And so we had a ton of Pacific Rim history. And we learned a lot about internment camps because the state fair that was a couple miles down the road was an internment camp, right? Like it was very close. And so we learned a lot of that history. And then I went to school on the East Coast and then learned a lot of other history, but they didn't know anything about, you know, West Coast Pacific Northwest history. And there are limited hours in school. It's hard to teach everything. But the fact is that people at some point have to become responsible for educating themselves because you need to know what has happened to people to understand how we all got where we are now. So Kat, as we start to wrap up, we have one last question for you. 
So thinking about yourself as an attorney and even as a social entrepreneur, and you also have started, like I said, not only nonprofits, but like other businesses as well. What do you think are some things that can help us as people from the African diaspora to have a more promised land in this country, if that's even possible? Is it inclusive inclusive of owning our own or dominating in mainly white spaces? Or is it a combination of both of those things? Or is it something completely different? Well, I mean, look, there are Black people succeeding at all levels and all places. I think that the big thing is you have to not be afraid to ask. You know, I think one of the things that I get the most when I get, uh, you know, young Black people, particularly Black women, is, you know, who ask me for advice and they're like, well, no one's going to give me any money or, oh, I'm never going to have a chance to get that job or whatever. It's like, well, just ask. I've raised millions of dollars for my nonprofit from rich white people because I've had a good plan and I've done my homework and I have, you know, whatever, and I've asked. And I think that you know, there's so much against us already that one thing that I see all of the time is that people add the extra barrier of stopping themselves. And, you know, Uh yeah, it's always going to be a lot harder for us. We're always having to work hard. Like all of these things are true, but that's the world we live in. All of them are true. So you can either accept that that's the world we live in and say, fine, I'm going to work harder and I'm still going to succeed and it's gonna taste better because I did it. Or you can say, oh, it's so unfair that I'm gonna have to work harder because I live in a shitty, unfair world. I'm just not gonna try, Mm -hmm. you know? But, you know, for me, I sort of wake up every day and I'm like, well, I'm a black woman in the world. Let's do it, you know? (laughs) It's it's gonna be more difficult and I'm gonna, you know, people are gonna say terrible things, you know, whatever, but I'm not gonna let that stop me from trying. And I think that that for me helps me get through the world because look, I'm never, going to end racism. As long as people, we, there are countries where everyone looks exactly the same and they've found a reason to hate each other and start wars. That's just humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can either just do it anyways, you know, and just accept, fine, it's going to be harder or stop myself. And I, in that, you know, if you look at people who have succeeded in Fortune 500s or nonprofits or entrepreneurship or, or, you know, media or whatever, it's not like it's been easy for any of them, right? It wasn't easy for Tristan Walker or Tamron Hall or anybody you can name. They just decided, fine, I'm going to do it anyways. And I think that that's what we really need to do is just, except we're going to work harder, but we're still going to make it happen. I love that, Kat. Thank you again so much for being with us. Can you share with our listeners where they can find you on social media? And also if you are going to have any news appearances coming up, because we definitely want to not only keep in touch with you and what you're doing, but also with Project ID Action Fund and Spread the Vote as well. And let us know how we can donate to both of those organizations. I will. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Kat Calvin LA. Um, I went off Twitter December of 2019 and it was the best thing I've ever done. So my Twitter account's still there, but I don't even have my password anymore. I made someone else take it and my brain is so much healthier for it. So you cannot find me on Twitter. Um, you can find uh, Spread the Vote at spreadthevote.org and Project ID at projectid.org. And both of them have big shiny donate buttons. Please click or volunteer buttons. We'd love for you to volunteer. And then all of their socials and everything are on um, on the websites as well. But yes, please get in touch. As far as, as media appearances, we never know. People call and they say, you're going on tomorrow. Or like I did two interviews today. They gave us no dates. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. So if you just keep up with our social media, whenever something comes out, we throw it up there so you can see um, where, where we are and what we're doing and get involved. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kat, for joining us today. Like I 
I said earlier, Kat was one of my first DC friends. And when she was here, like we would hang out all the time. Like she would have like great dinner parties. She also went with me to park to see Ryan Leslie for my birthday. Oh my gosh, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. well, Wait, question, where is Ryan Leslie? I feel like he dropped off the face of the earth. He's probably in Germany somewhere. I don't know. Okay. I, know. All right. <laughs> I feel like he was like in Europe or something like making music like years ago and maybe he just never came back. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. Well, good luck to you wherever you are, Ryan Leslie. <laughs> we love you. So I think Should has someone for our Dope Gifted and Black segment today. So Should? Yeah, so Dope Gifted and Black goes to Simone Biles, who is also the most decorated gymnast in history. So she is now renowned for performing a move so difficult and distinctive that several have been named after her. So she decided to do what is called a, and excuse me if I butcher this young lady's name, but her name, um, the name of the move was your Chinko Double Pike. So she attempted it in a competition on Saturday, which is a move so dangerous and difficult that no other woman in history has dared to even try to make this move. However, um, the judges scored her very low. I believe they gave her like a 6.6 .6 rating and they do Ooh. that. But they think that they do that in order to discourage people from even trying to attempt to, oh, to, to make that. the, yeah, to make the move. So um, afterwards, you know, when she was being interviewed, they were asked if, you know, um, if she would ever attempt to do it again. And she said, you know, yes, absolutely. And when asked why, she said, because I can. So, bloop, bloop. Uh, right. Period. Don't be mad. I, 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 have, I have to jump. I have one thing to say about this because I understand where the judges are coming from because Simone Biles is Wonder Woman, right? She could fly. She has an invisible jet. She could do all of these things. If anybody else tried to do anything that Simone Biles does, they would die. Yes, they, would, they, they would die. And so I get it from their point of view where they're like, this is amazing, but we're going to have some girl try this and she's going to die at the Olympics and it's going to be our fault. And I really do understand where they're like, look, you're amazing, but we, we can't encourage other people to try this because you're a god and these other mortals will kill themselves trying to be you. Well, I just want them to say, thank you. I just want them to say she's a god. Like, I want them thank to say that. Like, oh, just that I, I mean, I think that they, I, I feel like it's pretty, like, I don't think that Simone Biles is underappreciated in the gymnast world. I think she's just such an outlier that there's like, I, the judges said, if other people try this, they will die. You know, and if we score it so high, it's going to encourage other people to try it to get these points and they will die because they're not Simone Biles. Sorry for you. Sorry personal. <laughs> black girl magic. Don't get it black. I don't know what else to tell you. That part. I'm okay with it. That part. And for Stay in your lane. Stay in your exactly. lane. Exactly. There's only, <laughs> There's only one. So again, we want to thank Kat Calvin for joining us Woo! today. Thanks for having um, Of course. So knowledgeable. Hopefully you will come back and be with us again because we definitely need to keep our eyes on the Voting Rights Act and the Supreme Court, as well as these voter, uh, these voter uh, laws in Georgia. And well, Arizona and Georgia have already passed, but definitely in Florida and some of these other states. Also try to get, uh, what's the man's name? Joe Manchin out of West Virginia. Yes. Call your people. 
call your state call your people people senators but also vote in your elections if you have local elections going on in 2021 you need to go vote if you need an id contact cat calvin and the people that spread the vote they can help you and they will so again we want to thank you all for listening make sure that you connect with us on social media this has been another episode of the Feminar files Don't forget to listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. Connect with us on social media at Femnoir Files on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Femnoir Files. Bye!